Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Hani Avital is the founder of Sheila, spelled S-H-E-L-A-A-H, check it out, the female sensuality empowerment platform that helps women tap into their sexuality as a life force and learn how to live orgasmically. Hani has had quite the interesting professional career path. She says she followed her pleasure professionally, which led her to be a drill sergeant in the IDF, She worked to counsel sexually abused soldiers. She was a model all over Europe and the Mediterranean. She worked as the assistant to the head of the World Health Organization for Serbia and Montenegro. And on top of all of that, she was also an actress on several award-winning shows, including Blacklist and Bloodline. Now, Hani's work focuses on sensuality, sexuality, and female pleasure. She has a degree in psychology and professional training in Tantra, core revolutionism, and sexology. Hani also has a private practice here in New York City and leads sacred and empowering workshops that are dedicated to helping women embrace their sensuality and ever-evolving desires. All right, Hani, it's Monday. Yeah. Feeling a little rusty. (laughs) You're going to warm us up? Yeah, I feel like to bring us all in this space let's instead of three ohms I like three orgasmic ahs so we're gonna take an inhale we're gonna deep inhale and with the exhale ah. Ah. Ooh, you're good at that blood moving right we feel a little more awake (laughs) yeah well we're so excited to have you today not only as a sex and sensuality expert but also as a dear dear friend we're lucky enough to get these conversations with you on the weekly (laughs) so really grateful to be able to share it with our listeners so excited to be Welcome here. Welcome to you the Sakara Life Podcast. <gasps> Welcome. Thank you. So, we thought a nice question to start us off here is we often talk about our mission with Sakara and kind of why we're here, and it's to impact as many lives as possible and to help people understand the power of food as medicine. So, what would you say is your mission here on earth through this work? 
I really want to empower women to claim the fullness of their sexuality, sensuality, and pleasure. From my own life experience, I've learned that pleasure is a compass, and knowing what feels good to us is a really important no. And because of how we're conditioned, and this is cross-culture, so many of us, we don't actually know what what like how where that compass lies how to get in touch with that compass and so I really really am here to help women find that and claim a life full of ecstasy and pleasure Mm -hmm. heck yes (laughs) we'll sign up for that I mean and when I say women I mean anyone with both of (laughs) us got it Mm -hmm. and so now you are a sensuality or sex expert how did you get to this place? Were you just really good at sex? Or, <laughs> I mean, how do you get here? I mean, I think it's a combination of, yes, of nature, of being born with this curiosity about my body and about the pleasures of my body. But I was also born into a home that was really religious. And mm-hmm. so I had to bridge that gap for myself. Like, I grew up with all of this messaging. You know, one of my first memories is actually of exploring my body at the age of two, which is pretty young to be doing that. I was exploring my genitals, just another part of, like, the natural physical body. And I was punished for that. And that is literally my first memory. And, and so I had this, you know, I was yanked in two directions. One, like, I... I was constantly curious about, you know, how all this felt in my body. And, and, and at the same time, everyone around me was saying, okay, that's not okay. That's mm-hmm. actually sin. And so when I reached adulthood, I had to navigate um, through, like, I, I just had to unravel all of that. And I studied psychology um, mm-hmm. to really, I think... Most people who study psychology, that often comes from a very personal place of wanting to, you know, unpack their childhood. Um, And for me, that was certainly true. And within that sphere, sexuality was always something that really interested me. Um, And, you know, I went on to to study acting, to, to working for the UN. I kind of had a roundabout way to actually settling into to this work, but it was always there. Um, Your and calling. I, yeah, it was always there. And I eventually, you know, went back and studied sexology and core revolutionism, which is an offshoot of core energetics, a somatic modality. Um, and I guess basically all of that is basically to say that, you know, this started off as a personal journey and it's become a professional journey. Mm-hmm. I love when you talk about, it just is so meaningful that, you know, you kind of turned your mass into your mission. As Whitney and I speak to, we turned our mass into our mission. And why do you think coming from such a religious background, why is it that typically in religion, pleasure is sinful? Like, is that where our power source is? Absolutely. I think, you know, what is religion? It's control. 
and what are we trying, you know, who who is controlling and why are we trying to control? This is because a certain amount, you know, the, we want the power in one place. We don't want everyone to have that power. Mm. And there is a hundred percent power in pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's 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 natural. Like we were born to experience this in our bodies. It doesn't cost anything. You know, we we get to have that for ourselves. It's not dependent on anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much power in that. And, the, and yeah, absolutely. Right. I love that, you know, whether you um, believe in God or spirit or whatever your religion is, that uh, we can also believe that whatever the higher power is, that that they actually want us to experience these pleasures because they're God-given. Yeah. It's nature. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you talk a lot about pleasure. Can you define what that means? Because I think for some people, they think pleasure is sex and you're with a partner. But I love how you kind of define it in the ins and outs of the daily. You know, I think pleasure, well, first of all, what's beautiful about pleasure is that it's so subjective, right? Everyone has a different history and how they and different experiences. And so what they define as pleasurable for themselves is completely dependent on what makes them feel more alive. And that's that's what it is for me. Pleasure is anything that makes you feel more turned on and more alive. Mm. And that can be having, you know, I'm a, I'm a new mom, so that can be having like five minutes with myself to actually really enjoy my coffee in the morning that can feel like super pleasurable is that sexual I mean no but add that into like the well of pleasure that's like a drop you know and once that accumulates that just helps me feel more turned on and more alive and and so that can be it can be anything really Mm -hmm. I think that's something I really love about you is that you find ways to make anything, even the most mundane task, like having your cup of coffee and turn it into a sensual experience. And because then, you know, for me, I'm thinking about how do people get turned on when it is time for intimacy, when it is time to have sex and to shift from that brain of taking care of your child or running around at work to being ready for your partner or for yourself, whatever it is that you're talking about practicing being in that mindset and being central all throughout the day. Yeah, I think actually the key is not waiting until it's time to like engage sexually with a partner or with yourself. I think the key is to live in that space and to live a turned on life because then it's not you're not coming home on empty. You know, you're already filled up and then it's from that space, it's so much easier just to, like, experience the waves of, of ecstasy that we all want, you know? So tell us, what does this having a cup of coffee look like <laughs> to well, you if you're making I mean, it central? Or something I'll else? Be, I'll be, yeah, I'll, I have so many rituals. So actually, coffee is kind of new for me. I was a green tea person for a really long time. And then, man. <laughs> Motherhood. <laughs> Motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> I need a little more caffeine. So, but I have I have a mug that 
I love that I bought. It's uh, ceramic, it's handmade, and it's gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that mug. And then there's another mug that I really love too that has like a stone on it. So already like the texture and the feel of these mugs are enjoyable for me. And I usually like I put them on this beautiful little plate that I love and I'll always have something like for a while when I was pregnant, I was having a piece of dark chocolate with my coffee in the morning and I'd light Palo Santo like I would create a ritual around it that would allow me to really enjoy that moment and and experience pleasure in that moment Mm -hmm. instead of being, you know, like automatically gulping it down and heading out while I'm looking at Instagram. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that happens too. It's not that every single day I, I succeed at this, but that is really a goal for me. Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying because it's, it's as if in this fast paced chapter of time of humanity, we want everything to be more efficient. Uh, we want to cram as many things into as little time as possible. And what I hear you saying is that pleasure, there's no way to make pleasure efficient. You actually have to stop, slow down, you have and to receive. Be yeah. And I love that. And I love this idea of needing to have a ritual around it that you can't, like, there's no biohacking pleasure. No, there's no shortcuts. So refreshing in a world where we want to biohack everything. And who wants a shortcut, right? The whole Mm -hmm. thing of pleasure is like we want, like it's so it's so interesting because we, so many of us. I mean, we all want pleasure. We all want more pleasure in life. I don't know a single human being that doesn't want that. So why would we ever want to shortcut that? Like that that you know. But you're right. We're so used to immediate gratification. We live in this really fast-paced culture where stopping and breathing and being present is (laughs) is not really a reality for a lot of people yeah and I remember you giving me the exercise a few years ago of just trying to notice where Mm. I felt turned on because I I think that within this fast-paced life you know, you can have a delicious coffee and piece of chocolate and let it slip by that it was pleasurable or it can be pleasurable for two seconds instead of two minutes. And so one of the exercises you gave me was as you go out into the world and you're on the subway or walking around New York or even at the office, what are the things that turn you on? Like, for instance, even walking here today, there's that big Calvin Klein ad in Soho mm-hmm. Um And because of kind of these little things that you've taught me, which is just to stop and notice, there was this really, really hot guy. I mean, it's Calvin (laughs) Klein, so duh. But I'm not always turned on by like their ads, but this one was just really hot. And so I just stopped and I even said something to Whitney. (laughs) Um, But that's new. And I had to cultivate that. And I love that that's something that you focus on. Was it part of feeling okay with being turned on by things out in the world? Or do you feel like you had oppressed that's a great question. Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I grew up in a household that not not from a religious perspective, I mean, probably like at the core, but just didn't really know that pleasure was an option. My mom didn't grow up in a household where pleasure was talked about. You know, you waited till you were married to have sex. And then 
everything was around the man and the man's pleasure all the way from sex to dinner. Um, and so, you know, even though I grew up in a very different time, I grew up with that as my upbringing. And so it's almost like I never even stopped to smell the roses for lack of a better analogy. Um, and so I think it was one feeling like a little shy about my the things that turned me on from, you know, my cup of coffee to the Calvin Klein ad and then also just not even noticing. I think, you know, people ask me, how do we bring up the next generation to be empowered like sexually? And I think one of the keys is education. And as part of education is talking about pleasure. We don't talk about pleasure. And I think it's very common not to know like not to you, you don't notice because you don't know because you've never actually engaged in a conversation about it and a huge I love that practice of being active in in seeking pleasure and noticing pleasure because when you look for it you will find it if you're looking to be turned on you're actively first of all you're taking responsibility for your life and you're taking responsibility for your turn on and you in taking that action you will find that and you will start to see a shift you know the more and more you focus on that the more it comes the more it comes and the more present it's going to be in your life that's it's just a simple formula it's such a simple little kind of meditation to do i mean me and me and my my husband we have a practice of before we again this isn't every day but we before we go to sleep we share three moments from our days with each other that turned us on and that practice again the more we engaged in that practice it was like oh you know well I'm gonna I can't wait to tell him about this tonight (laughs) this happened on the subway today and this you know and and it's a great first of all it kind of stirs up that energy between us right before like as we're going to sleep in bed and um, but it's also you know mindfulness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of people have a gratitude practice and maybe share what they're grateful for I love this idea of switching it up and making a little sexy, a little pleasure practice. Well, I told Honey that my dream, you know, it's in this day of of wellness. There just feels like there's more and more to do. And I think it's all for the better, of course. But jokingly, I said, okay, well, I'm supposed to like meditate every day. I'm supposed to work out every day. Now I'm supposed to have this pleasure ritual every day. So I told Honey she needs to create a meditative, pleasurable workout. (laughs) <laughs> all right i'll sign up for that let us know when you when you get to that okay nope that's a shortcut but i love what you were saying about how we just don't even know about pleasure because um even the textbooks don't even show a clitoris like how wild is that still in the majority of states in this country the anatomy <laughs> <laughs> you know, pictures in sex ed books do not include the clitoris. The or even clitoris. any talk about pleasure. Oh, any talk about pleasure, period. But they don't even include a part that is that anatomical. Is all about pleasure. There is no other function for the clitoris other than pleasure. It's 8,000 nerve endings. Wow. It's more than a penis. I mean, it. so it's, it, yeah. We're, I mean, it's crazy. I have a daughter. Like, it's so 
I, I don't know. I want her, I don't want to be shy and talking to her or have carry my own stories with me. And so how do you even start to engage these conversations? I guess it starts with yourself. Well, first, then... it was definitely by example, but also I think, you know, language is a good place to start. I recently had a girlfriend of mine ask me, so she actually texted me and she was like, hey, what should I be telling my daughter? Like, what word should I be using to describe her genitalia? Yeah, and at what age? And she was, at, she was six years old at the time. And my friend's actually a doctor. And I said, vulva. And she said, well, I know that's the correct word, but I mean, if I it's teach her this, word. if I teach her this, like, how are other parents and other kids going to respond? And I said, you have two sons. How, how do other people respond to the word penis? Like, we use the word penis when, with wow. young boys. And it starts there. The shame starts already at that age of we should not be using the correct word. The so correct true. word is vulva. And and like that, that is, you know, there's so many sort of forks in the road when you're a parent, I feel, that have incredible impacts yeah. on whether or not, you know, our, our children are going to feel good about this like natural part of themselves or not. And even if you have the best intentions, you may not, not like have the know-how and so it's really important to talk about this stuff there's a great book um it's used like it's pretty you know simple simply written but it's um for goodness sex and I feel like it's Mm. a great book for parents to read because it really it just has a lot of great advice about how to talk you know with children at appropriate ages about sexuality and and can you speak to you know, we were talking about pleasures and how they might be seen as sinful because there's so much power behind, especially a woman's pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many kind of arenas and areas and places for orgasms. Can you speak to kind of anatomically what types of orgasms women can have and how you talk about peaks and valleys? So it's interesting, right? Like orgasm um, actually happens in the brain. It's not just like focused in the genitalia. Um, and we can have so many different kinds of orgasms and how we feel about what's actually happening in our body is very different, right? And that is because of context and how we actually interpret that context and how we interpret that context in our brains, again, has to do with our personal history and it has to do how we've been socialized. It has to do with so many things. So there are all kinds of orgasms. In Tantra, which I think is what you're referring to, they, there's a lot of conversation around peak orgasm and valley orgasm. And peak orgasm is what I believe most of us are familiar with, which is this, you know, you're actively kind of building up this tension and, and looking forward for this peak release of sexual tension. And valley orgasm, which a lot of us are not familiar with, is where we reach a relaxed state that our bodies are so relaxed that orgasm just emerges. And often that kind of orgasm is experienced more as a full body orgasm, less as, you know, just focused in the genitals. How do we get there, honey? (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
practice. <laughs> I think practice is, you know, that's another thing is that we we apply ourselves in so many areas of life, right? We apply ourselves in school and then we apply ourselves in our jobs and we apply ourselves in our friendships and, our, and then in our romantic relationships. But we all have share this notion that when it comes to sex and sexuality, it's this force that's external like it just happens if we meet the right person or if it's the right moment in our lives and we're feeling you know this turned on enough then we're going to experience this amazing ecstasy no that's a falsehood we need to apply ourselves to this just like we need to apply ourselves to everything else in life and I really believe in sensuality being a practice and and not from a place of like add it to the to-do list oh my god now to be like you know live a healthy life I have to do ugh, another like practice no like when it comes to pleasure it's not gonna feel like a task because pleasure doesn't feel like a task it feels like joy mm. and even if it might feel like a task at first that's okay yeah. like you can learn to I think perceive pleasure it's like you were talking about this at our our last Sakara session about you know if you want abs you go to the gym right and so if you want pleasure you, you have want to, amazing orgasm you have to practice yeah. yeah you have to you do those have to create what, a practice what does this practice look like so there's many different things I would say I mean there's uh, I have I actually you know have created something <laughs> a product that I'm launching in a week that that actually is exactly this, is to help people really guide them in creating a practice. But for women, I think it's really important to first get to know your body. Like, you know, men or people with penises, they get to look at that part of their body every time they pee, every time they take off their, you know, they have a very different relationship with that part of our, their body. But how women or people with vulvas we're not taught to actually explore that part of our body we don't get to see it on a regular basis so it actually takes practice and time with yourself to get to even you know know that part of your body and what feels good down there like you know I know a lot of people and if you're listening and you're one of these people and you've never actually looked at your vulva please look at it mm. like that's really important mm. that's power look at it and get to know it like take time and actually feel the different parts of your vulva it's not just your vagina it's your clitoris it's your labia it's your you know that we have so much erectile tissue down there and getting to know like the sensations and how we like to be touched that's the only way we'll actually ever be able to tell someone else what we want is if we first know what feels good to us and that takes time and because we again live in a culture where that's absolutely not taught the opposite is taught for most girls when they begin to touch that area of their body at a really young age they're shut down and then there's no follow-up conversation about that. And so they reach adulthood, and then they start having sex, and maybe they get lucky and have a great lover that kind of teaches them something about their own bodies. But, man, if we're talking about power, 
like take the pe- like take the power mm-hmm. <laughs> take the power and get to know your own body get to know what feels good in your body what does not feel good in your body I love that as a compass because I think most women think they have to be pretty and that that is good sex you know like you have to show up as whatever whatever your version of feeling beautiful is but I think that a lot of women are taught that that's part of um, pleasure and good sex and you know we learn that not just as women but men learn that also from porn Mm -hmm. and kind of like the sex that is out there that we can watch Um, and I love this kind of new lens of actually the sexiest thing you can bring to the bedroom with your partner is knowing your own pleasure and what feels really good to you absolutely and you know to go back to like porn I you know, there's so much controversy like about porn, but I really, I think that porn can be a tool. I think that in watching porn, if you're watching it with the knowledge that it's performative, that it is a performance, that that is not what sex looks like in real life, you can use it as a tool to see what turns you on, you know, um, and checking in with your body while you're watching things and saying, oh, hmm. Who knew (laughs) this turns me on, but it is a terrible place to receive sexual education from. Mm. And most kids have access to that at a really young age now. And that is where they're learning about sex. And, you know, porn to this day is still mainly through the male gaze. And so boys are, are learning, Oh, well, this is what women, this is what girls want. Like, I need to be forceful. I need mm-hmm. to be, you know, I, they, they want me to take them. They, mm-hmm. you know, they want me to shove this part of my body into, and girls on the other hand are learning the opposite. Like, oh, well, it's all about his pleasure. They don't really know that they should be experiencing pleasure as well. So it's really important, especially as a parent in today's world, to have a conversation about porn with your kids because they will be exposed to it and they mm-hmm. need to know that it's performance. Mm-hmm. It is performance yeah. that people that they're watching are getting paid <laughs> to do what they're doing. And that's not what it looks like in real life. Yeah. And where does this conversation of sex being an energetic exchange come into play in in porn it's nowhere to be found nowhere to be found and yet sex can be such an amazing magical thing that allows us to touch into ourselves and into spirit and into this greater energy in such an amazing way and yet intimacy is lacking right like you never if porn there's no real true intimacy in porn and that would look kind of boring. Though. I was right. going to say, can you even capture intimacy? <laughs> I don't think it it is boring, actually. Like, I think a great resource is Erica Lust, right? Like, yeah. she's she's mm. her porn is very much from the female gaze, and there is a lot of intimacy, and there's a lot of narrative. You know what we're learning now? Like, there's been a lot of scientific studies recently in recent years. It's taken a long time, but in recent years that show that, like the arousal mechanism the male arousal mechanism is different from the female arousal Mm -hmm. mechanism though throughout history we've always interpreted again through the male or so so women don't often 
percentage-wise, about 70% of women don't experience, like, automatic desire for sex. Like, I want to have sex right now. That is more of a, a male experience. And again, when you look at porn, like you're looking at Erica Lust's porn, there's more narrative, which is more how women experience. Like, it, it, it needs intimacy. And, yeah, there needs to be, exactly, there needs to be a lot of eroticism often for a woman to really feel turned on and want to engage in a sexual dance. And when you talk about this, I love, one, I'd like you to speak to this well idea. You, you talked about it earlier. If you could um, really explain that for the listeners. And then... You know, we've kind of danced around this idea of ritual and pleasure. And does that always include masturbation? Does it sometimes include masturbation? Where does masturbation come into play for you in terms of pleasure? That's a great question. Well, first, the well. So it's just an analogy that I like to use. If we talk about, again, taking responsibility for a turn-on, if you think about your sensuality or your sexuality as this well. And every time you choose pleasure, you're adding a drop into that well. And then that well begins to fill, and eventually it begins to overflow. And and when that happens, like your turn-on is going to be so sparked, right? Like and it's and your desire to engage sexually or your the or the amount of aliveness that you're going to feel is going to be so much greater. But if that well is dry, boy. Yeah. I mean <laughs> you can't just like turn it on when no, it's time for like, sex. E, yeah. e, those things are related. So if your well's dry and you come home and your partner wants to engage sexually with you. I'm gonna guess that that's not what you're gonna do. Want to do, you know? And and so I love thinking about it in that way because again, every time you choose that little coffee or mm-hmm. the ten minutes of meditation mm-hmm. or having a glass of wine with people that make you laugh or whatever that is, that's a drop in the well, and that you know directly translates the how much you want to engage sexually and also just how you feel in life in general, how alive you feel in life. Mm-hmm. And what was the second part? Oh, masturbation. masturbation. I think masturbation is a very important part of exploring one's sexuality and sensuality, but that doesn't always need to be, you know, part of the exploration. Like what we were talking about before of, of noticing that, that's, you know, that's also part of central exploration and cultivation. And there's many, many practices that are not masturbation that, that definitely enhance and cultivate sensuality and central self. And when masturbation is part of the practice, what do you usually tell people to get started? I know you talk about how a lot of times people have one way of mm. coming to climax, and every time they are on their own exploring that, they go to the same thing that they know works, and they often don't try new things. Yeah, so I, with a lot of the women that I work with, I've seen over the years that 
they'll come in and and often say, listen, like I I can climax when I masturbate, you know, with a vibrator, but I really have never climaxed in partnered sex or on my own or and which is, by the way, totally okay if that's the case, but coming in desiring more than that. And it's and I often tell them that's because you've conditioned your body to respond to one kind of stimulation and you've never experienced or explored how your body responds to other kinds of stimulation, which is what most of us do, right? Like if, first of all, there's people that have never masturbated, but if you have masturbated, most, you've most likely found one way to get off and you've stuck with that way your entire life. And there are so many ways to explore the body. So in the cases which I was just talking about of, of using the vibrator, I think vibrators are great, by the way. But in that case, I'll coach a woman to, okay, set your vibrator aside and, and I'll give her exercises of how to start exploring her body without the vibration and see what feels good and really learn to like teach your body what a different kind of stimulation feels like and and you know so the practice mm-hmm. of masturbation i feel like the number one thing i would say is don't let it be focused on having an orgasm like create space in which you really let yourself relax and explore and learn about yourself and what feels good to you and what doesn't feel good to you like really let it be a very luxurious space Mm -hmm. that does not have any attached pressure to it I think that's Mm -hmm. like really really important Um, and then try different kinds of stimulation like don't just focus your solo you know sex on one kind of stimulation because that will open up like then the dance with yourself and with other people mm-hmm. becomes something so much more rich, right? Yeah. And maybe it's also, it, this makes me think of a couple of things. One is just our, um, back to that fast paced lifestyle that I'm looking for where it's an automatic gratification. Yeah. That it's very, we very much live in an instant gratification culture. And so a vibrator can, you know, get, get it done, get it done very quickly. Right. Um, whereas, um, you know, manual or with a partner, it can take quite a bit longer, especially if your well is not full. Um, and how much of that also goes into our psychology of our needing to feel safe, of our, I don't know, developing our imagination and being able to you know go into fantasy or you know play into the the mental part on our own or with a partner hugely I mean I think again when we were talking about so there's a great book it's called come as you are and um, Dr. Emily Nagoski she talks about how we all have what's called an accelerator and brakes and so our accelerator is how our brains interpret sexual stimuli. Um, And our breaks is when our brains interpret things as being a threat. And both are, so 
our accelerator and our brakes, neither of them are innate. They're both learned. Uh, no one's born with, like, you know, a specific way of interpreting the world or sexual stimuli. And, and so feeling safe, like what you're going to interpret, like what you're what is going to push on your brakes or what is going to push on your accelerator is very specific to you. It's very mm-hmm. specific to your experience, your sexual experiences, your emotional experiences, the messaging you received like in childhood. All of those things are affect how you interpret stimuli. And so part of like the practice that we're talking about is how can I interpret more of the world Mm. as an accelerator Mm -hmm. and that's again that doesn't have it's not the same for anyone like that is specific to you but how can you feel that how can we be pressing on the accelerator more yeah and I think for me intimacy is really important and when I think about what intimacy looks like it is often outside of the bedroom it's in mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. deep conversations, conversations about feelings, conversations about fears, about future goals, about creating, you know, what does our life look like together or just some of these things that where we're creating our own little world together or having time and moments where I felt where I feel seen um, that that is intimacy to me and then that carries over into the bedroom where then I have trust where then I have closeness Mm -hmm. where then I have love and I feel safe and can really open up or really relax and I think that's shared that's a shared experience for most women you know I think that is uh, we desire that kind of intimacy and we and also we need to feel safe like to really open ourselves sexually we have to feel safe and again how we experience safety is different from person to person but that is that's again part of accelerator versus you know brakes if you're not feeling safe then your body will be pressing on the brakes right and also that there is there are different kinds of pleasures offered depending on your emotional state you know, and so I think typically we're taught that if somebody's good at sex, you'll orgasm or like your partner's good at sex. And what we're not taught is that you actually experience different kinds of orgasms, different kinds of pleasures, depending on how intimate you feel with your partner, how safe you feel with your partner. All those types of things, especially for women, equal different kinds of pleasures. And we're not taught that feeling emotionally safe or vulnerable or intimate is actually part of the way to the the peaks of pleasure a hundred percent so what you're basically talking about is context like here's a really simple example um if i have just gone out to a really sexy dinner with my husband and we have spent the evening feeling really intimate talking kissing laughing um when if we get in the cab and we're on the way home and he starts like kissing my neck, that's probably going to feel great. If we've gone out to dinner and we have had a fight and it has not gone well, we are like at each other and we get in, into the car and he kisses my neck, 
I will probably be irritated. I will pro- that will probably not I will probably not be turned on by that. And that's context. That's exactly the same like exchange, right, with my partner, but how I feel and how that feels in my body is completely different. So that's mm-hmm. a really important part. It's a really important part and I think there's an important distinction there, right? That it's not that sex can't be pleasurable without feeling intimate and close to someone like you know if you you're back to your your mention of the clitoris and vibrators you know you can manually orgasm and I think people are taught that that's how the only way to experience pleasure but then once you you learn and through these rituals you speak to you learn that intimacy and feeling connected both to yourself and then insex with your partner offers such a different kind of orgasm and pleasure. A hundred percent. And and again, you know, I think I also there's a huge move in and which I am very happy about, but like there's a term, you know, you use sacred sex, right? And I think that's kind of talking about sex and the spiritual connection to sex and I I think that's really important and I'm really happy that there's a lot more conversation around that and at the same time I don't think that sex always has to be sacred I think there is space for the kind of sex that's very animalistic and there isn't like a really intimate build-up to that kind of sex so I, I think you know within sexuality there it's, you know, so there's so much, right? And we bring so much to all of that. But even if I want like animalistic sex, that I'm still probably going to want to feel safe, which is important. And, and again, there are people that maybe don't want to feel safe. And that has to do with their childhood. And, you know, what perhaps happened in their past that that's, it's so complex. It's so complex. And we, and there just needs to be an acceptance. Like if we could be accepting of each other in that space and know that when we're engaging with someone else sexually, they're bringing a whole history with them that's affecting how they respond, how they respond sexually and what they're what arouses them just as much as you're bringing your full history and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, what arouses you and how you respond Mm -hmm. sexually. Do you have any tips for building intimacy in a relationship? Definitely. I think the number for me, the most important thing is communication. I think, um, being able to be honest, like have true when you're able to be honest with someone that builds trust and trust builds intimacy. And I think it's really hard for us, especially when it comes to our sexuality and sensuality to be honest because there's so much, so much we, we have to sort of sift through so much shame that we've all internalized and it can feel really vulnerable. So even when we are honest, Sometimes our defenses are up when we're being honest. And so that's not received as closeness, you know. Um, So I think honest communication with love would be a tip that I would give people um, to create intimacy. Nice. 
I we were talking about this earlier, this idea of what it might look like for women to stand in their power sexually and come to not only their own lives, but their their lives with their partner saying, this is what I want, even in the face of maybe feeling like you're, you, or maybe you've been taught that your job is to actually please them. And so you love to look a certain way or act a certain way when in reality, most of the time our partners actually want us to experience real pleasure. And that especially for women in this day and age, that is standing in our power. And so how can we help our partners? And when I say that right now, I'm specifically speaking to men. How can we help them kind of through this navigation into female sexuality and make them feel safe and heard? Because I think it must be just as unsettling for them as it is for us as we explore like it can be scary saying you have to show up now and I'm gonna stand in my power now yeah and I also think that we're questioning what sex is and so if they've grown up thinking that sex looks like this and we've been agreeing with them as we start faking it or faking it yeah which is basically yeah Mm -hmm. um and we're saying no now this is what it is then how do we help them through that also? It's it's interesting because I kind of think the answer to that is back to the same question that Whitney asked, which is I think honesty is really important again. And in, in in like when a woman begins to set, step into the fullness of her sexual power and her sensuality, and there's going to be a shift in the dynamic And that's new, right? And being able to bring that to the relationship, it starts again with communication. But it has to be honest, loving, like emphasis on loving communication. Like I think we have to understand that just as much as we've internalized the social messaging, men have too. Yeah. And they have in a way that, you know, like... We never hear woman up, man up, you know, you hear all the time. Like we tell little boys, man up, like be, be a man, like be a man. Don't cry right now. Don't, you know. And so there's this paradox because what we're wanting now from our adult male partners is very different from what we're teaching our boys, right? <laughs> and, and, and so even if we have partners that have the best of intentions, we have to understand that they have internalized and are living what society has taught them about male sexuality and about what women want. So we have to be compassionate with each other as we start sharing honestly about what turns us on. Like, you know, when we fake, and I think there are a lot of women, I'm forgetting the actual percentage. I mean, this has been studied, but a huge percentage of women lie about you know they fake orgasms and you're basically when you're doing that you're conditioning sexual behavior that is not pleasurable for you (laughs) 
So you're putting your partner in a really tough spot because you're telling them, yeah, keep going in this direction while that direction is exactly where you don't want to be going. Mm -hmm. So even though it can feel so, and it is, doesn't just feel, it's very vulnerable with another person in that space to say, hey, (laughs) so this doesn't actually feel that great to me, but this feels really great. Like, can I show you, you know, have your, bring them, have them be an active like participant in this secret that is you. Yeah. And I think within that, Mm. you have to trust that as your partner, they want your pleasure just as much as you do. If someone is engaging sexually with you, they want your pleasure. Just mm-hmm. like if you're engaging sexual with someone else, sexually with someone else, you want them to experience pleasure. I mean, that's that, that's mm-hmm. how <laughs> that, that's our buildup. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think when you're talking about loving communication, I do think that's really important, um, especially as relationships continue on. Maybe you've been together a long time. I think it can be easy to complain or, you know, criticize or nag or things like that instead of being compassionate to the other person. And I mean, I get what you want. A hundred percent. And I I also, you know, fall short sometimes in my communication with my partner. And I think that comes from a place of because back to what we were saying before, because there's so much power and sexuality, it's life force, right? That, like, really opening to that power and being in that space with someone else is very triggering. And it's really easy to feel rejected. And we all, again, feel rejected differently, right? Like, what causes us to feel rejected is, again, very subjective and has to do with our own histories. But you know, that line between desire, between like feeling desired and feeling rejected, that's, that's a a tight, a tight rope, you know? And, and so when we're exploring something new with our partners, we have to remember, like, we have to remember that they're learning too. like, let it, the compassion is really important because it's so easy for the partner and also for oneself to feel rejected. Like when there's a shift and a change, it's so easy to interpret that as like, I'm not good enough. They don't want, like it it can be experienced as rejection. And so again, it's just really important to bring the love and compassion to that change. Mm -hmm. And so you are a new mother Congratulations. Yes, Thank you. How do you feel your sensuality or sexuality has changed? Has it changed? 100%. It's so funny. So a couple things come to mind. A couple, I would say like maybe even the day after I gave birth to my son, we kind of had a sexual dance together, like me and my my partner. And... We didn't have intercourse, but it was hot and heavy. And I, I remember thinking, and I think I actually said this out loud to my husband. I was like, you know, I don't, I 
don't know how you can ever get divorced after having a baby with someone because it's such an intimate, like, connected, like, there's nothing more powerful that you could do with someone than create another human being. Fast forward. (laughs) (laughs) Two, three weeks later, I was like, this is how you get divorced after having a child. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, you live your whole life um, with a certain sexual identity, with mm-hmm. a way that you show up in the world sexually and sensually and and how you interact with other people, how the world interacts with you, how you feel in your body, even though that changes constantly, it changes in a major way when you get pregnant and in a major way when you give birth. And so suddenly you're learning, like you're, you're first of all, everything's like an unknown, you know, how to relate to your child. Like everything is an unknown, but then this huge part of your identity also is unknown. Mm. And on top of that, you have a new identity, which is the identity of mother and how you integrate your identity as a sexual woman with the identity of mother is really complicated. And you feel, I I feel different in my body now. I gained weight during pregnancy. I'm still shedding that weight. So like all of that's related to, you know, my own stuff, my own history and how like I sift through that. But not only that, it's not just about, it's about, you know, how, I don't know. Like I, I want a lot more intimacy, like back to what you were saying, Whitney, like I engaging sexually with my husband now there's a new tenderness that I am seeking and that probably has to do with the emotional state that I'm in right now. I'm so open, right? Like my heart is just, it's like exploded when I, when I gave birth to my son and like, there's just a lot of raw emotions. It's even the hormones, like everything that my body is going through right now. So it's this new space. And what I'm wanting is very different. How I'm wanting to engage sexually is different. How I'm experiencing myself and my sexual identity is different. It's every everything like it's just a completely new me. And luckily, because I have the practices that I have, and I have the knowledge that I have, I'm able to to really go back to those things and say Mm -hmm. okay I need to tap back in and see what's going on and see what feels good to me right now because it's definitely different than what felt good to me before Mm -hmm. interesting so I know that um well actually before we go there um I'm excited. Where are we going? Where are we going? (laughs) We're using our pleasure compass to decide, find out. (laughs) What feels really good right now? Well, I know we've talked about this, but so sex is so different for you now that you're a mother. And I think there's not a lot of space in the world for women to talk about that. One, because there's just not a ton of space in general for women to talk about their sexuality, but especially this union of mother and sexual being aren't talked about at all. And it just astounds me when birth mm-hmm. is a sexual act. You know, you are literally opening up your sex organs and allowing another being that you to pass have, through. That you created by having sex. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're creating a human, holy. Yeah. 
And they're like, they're. I think we can curse on this. Can I curse? Fuck. Love the word fuck. Gonna use that again. <laughs> fuck. Yeah, and they're literally passing through our sexual organs. Yeah. And yet we're supposed to pretend like it, right. it's this medical, sterile event that has no intimacy. I think, you know, society has such a hard time. Our culture has such a t- hard time seeing mothers as sexual beings. And birth is super sexual. I mean, it's interesting. I, I'll tell a, a f- funny story that kind of doesn't support what I just said, but it does. Uh, <laughs> I, when I, I had a home birth and when I interviewed, you know, our midwives and our doula, in both of those interviews, we were, I, I was asked sort of what, what I think about, what are my thoughts about birth, uh, what are my de- desires for my birth, uh, a little bit about my history. And I shared with the midwives and with the doula the same thing, which was I'm not naive. I know that you can't really control the way in which a child decides to come, <laughs> you know, here. But at the same time, I'm open to the notion of birth being pleasurable. And I'm really excited about exploring that. I've studied a lot about orgasmic birth and, you know, and, and I had a tough pregnancy, but I was like rearing to go for birth. I was like, this is what it, I mean, if anyone can have an orgasmic birth, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) The first, I want to say like four hours of active labor was ecstatic. Like Mm -hmm. me and my husband, we were, we had a glass of wine and we put on music and we were dancing and making out. And, you know, with every contraction, we'd stop and he'd put his hands on my lower back. And it was just, (laughs) we both looked at each other and we're like, this is a, this feels like MDMA. This feels like a drug. Like we are definitely having orgasmic birth. There's no way that we're not. Fast forward again, 18 hours later, (laughs) I look at my doula and I'm like, orgasmic birth is bullshit. (laughs) I was definitely not having an orgasm in that moment. But I really do believe that you can. There were definite definite moments of pleasure during birth. And, And the orgasm for me was when my son was actually born. Like that, I can't even put into words the ecstasy that I felt in that moment. Um, but I, I think it's so important that what you're saying is that birth isn't just pain. And I think it's really important for women out there to hear that um, because there's so much fear wrapped up into birth. Yeah. And there's so much medical intervention wrapped up into birth and this notion of safety and, um, you know, being selfish or looking out for your child and shame, shame, shame. And, you know, I, I, I wish women could just know no matter how they choose to birth, whether they want a scheduled C-section or they want the epidural or they want a home birth, the most important part is just that you know your options and that you know that if you choose to experience birth without intervention, that it's not all pain, that there is 100%. pleasure wrapped up in it. I mean, you know, birth has been medicalized and... 
for like to me the most important thing about birth is really empowering women to have the experience that they want and whatever that looks like it doesn't it's just like sex right like whatever whatever that looks like it doesn't matter as long as you're as long as you get to choose what you what feels good to you and I think it really is important knowing that it's a spectrum and you can experience pleasure while you're having birth and it can be a really connected experience even when you are feeling pain um it sounds a lot like what we were talking about before uh about intimacy and feeling safe that you I guess choose what feels the most safe to you where you can open up in order to feel that pleasure whichever path makes you feel safe and intimate and have that intimacy yeah that you're not being shamed into decisions or scared into decisions 100% and again it goes back to that compass of knowing though knowing that Mm -hmm. about yourself I feel like the thing is with birth just like sex or sexuality a lot of women don't know like we don't because we're not taught that there's all these possibilities that we can experience this amazing thing in many different ways and having that knowledge is power and then you get to decide how you want to go about it and it's not same for any you know every person again where they feel safe is very different and it's yeah well and I think what you're both speaking to is we've talked about this idea of the pleasure well and what it means to add, but there's also, there's net positive adding, there's neutral, but then there obviously must be net negative where you're actually taking from your well. And what are those decisions that are actually pulling from... Or creating trauma. Yeah, pulling from your pleasure well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I think going back to birth, you know, it's important to also say... Just like in sex, like sometimes your intentions are incredible. Like, oh, you think like tonight is going to be blah, 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 blah. And then, eh. (laughs) you know, it doesn't end up being exactly what you planned for. And that that night of ecstasy ended up with with you falling asleep. I I don't know. Like that's a possibility. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with birth. Like choosing is really important, but also knowing sometimes it doesn't go in the direction that you thought it would go in. Like, I didn't have my orgasmic birth, or or I didn't have what you thought was what orgasmic. What I thought yeah. would be an orgasmic birth, you know? Like, I, I definitely had a lot of pleasure, but I also had a lot of moments that were not pleasurable. Um, so it's, it's, it's approaching that with an openness and a flexibility, just, and that's just as important to bring that openness and flexibility to sex. Mm. I love this notion of the pleasure well so much because Whitney and I talk about it a lot. We always say, you know, our, our we should be giving from the overflow of our cups when so many times we we give from whatever we have left in our cup and even when it's empty, we find something to give. But if we can make decisions every single day that fill our cup up, then it makes it really easy to give and it also ensures that you're in a good space to give. So we've talked a lot about pleasure and the well. What are, can you give us three examples of maybe how we can add 
to our pleasure wells. Absolutely. I think I think one tool you'll need to be able to add to your pleasure well is the pleasure scale. Knowing how to base decisions on like according to the pleasure scale. Like is this thing that I'm about to engage in going to bring more pleasure or is it going to actually like deplete (laughs) and that's really important like where does this fall on the pleasure scale and every time you choose in the direction of pleasure that's going to add to the well Mm -hmm. and that's like and you can ask that about anything like "Mm, what you know I don't know. What do I want to eat for lunch today? What do I want to eat for lunch today? What what exercise? Like, is it better to go on a lengthy walk in the park or should I go have my butt kicked at the class? Like, what is actually, if we're constantly asking ourselves that, and the amazing thing is our bodies, like, they know. Yeah. The the answer is always in the body. You don't have to, it's not about overthinking it. It's not about giving, like, the pros and cons. It's about listening like building the relationship with one's body and oneself and being able to listen to that answer and going oh boom I want to go for the walk in the park that's going to be more pleasurable for me today like I have a great example last night uh, I put my son to sleep and you know he was a newborn so the wisest decision is always to go to sleep when he goes to sleep (laughs) to get some sleep myself but the Grammys were on last night and I know from my experience that I always feel really turned on when I watch the Grammys because unlike other award shows, like the artists actually get to do what they love. They get to perform. They get to make music like at, at, at the Grammys. You know, yeah. like when you watch the Oscars, you're not seeing actors act. They're just going up there and receiving so that would an be award. a great <laughs> idea. You should add that in. But but so the grant like and so it's I love watching the Grammys and and I last night was like, hmm, should I go to sleep and get some sleep? I have a podcast tomorrow morning. Or should I watch the Grammys? And I was like, Grammys, definitely Grammys. <laughs> and I did. And you know what? I went to sleep feeling so turned on. Like I because it's and that's were I'm there not, any I'm not, good performances? I'm amazing yeah. performances. And I'm not saying that like the Grammys are gonna turn everyone else on, but that's specific to me. Like that's something that brings me a lot of pleasure and it stirs up an energy for me and so I chose to do that last night instead of get sleep it's we've been friends for what like a decade maybe a little more yeah and it's taken me many years to really understand what you mean by living in pleasure even though I see it in you like I watch you eat and I'm like is it really that good honey <laughs> or like or like I came over and do you have these beautiful towels and you you know that every piece in your home you've chosen for it brings what, you pleasure you know, it feels good yeah. yeah but it's taken me a while to understand what you mean and I love the takeaway like the, the takeaway is you are constantly making decisions And you have the power to make decisions that bring you joy or deplete you. And within those decisions, can you try at least most of the time to always opt for the ones that bring pleasure? And we talk about that at Sakara all the time. You know, food is information. So every time we sit down to eat, we are choosing the information we're feeding ourselves, Mm -hmm. our physical bodies, our spiritual bodies, our emotional bodies. 
we're making a decision every single time and it's not to scare people away from, you know, diving into a plate of French fries and red wine when it's time. But if that brings you pleasure, that is good information that you're taking in. But the funny thing about pleasure is that you'll notice that if you do too much of it, it goes past a point of being pleasurable. So for example, um, French fries, like those are really good every once in a while, but if you have them three days in a row, by the time you have them the fourth fourth night, you're like, you know what? These are not really bringing me pleasure anymore. And so at Saqqara, we call this body intelligence and you Mm -hmm. spoke to it a lot today, um, of the importance of tuning in to what actually feels good because most of the time eating Saqqara is what actually makes me feel really good. And then every once in a while when I don't, it brings so much pleasure also because I know I'm just going to go straight back to the pleasure of eating Saqqara. Well, that's why I love Saqqara because it's about balance, right? It's not, you talk a lot about pleasure actually, about food being pleasurable. And it's our bodies know like they have all of the knowledge that we need. And so your body knows that having a French fry, like, you know, one night, like that's fine, but it also knows that doing that on a regular basis, not so good, not going to make you feel good. And so that is like that answer is always there. Mm, yeah. And and where we experience pleasure is in our bodies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not to get too out there, but this is Sakara podcast after all. Um, let's go. There. Let's go there. You know, we we really are only here for a blip in time mm-hmm. and It's so easy to live in doing the same things every single day and yet wanting things to be different. And we, at Sakara, we talk about how if you want something to change, you have to change. That change doesn't come because you keep doing the same thing every day. And so what I love about what you teach your clients and what you've talked about today is that um, you spark change by even just the simplest thing of just noticing pleasure and by noticing and sparking that change, then you can start to receive more pleasure. And you, you take back the power because if it's not dependent on how someone else makes you feel or it's not, you know, you have the power, like you actually have the power to turn your life on, like to light your own fire to live in a space, in a constant space that feels good to you. And, and that's not, you know, that can sound so like how in the world, some goal that's like so far of it, but no, it's, it's a practice. It's a daily practice. Mm -hmm. And, and you don't like, you have everything you need to do that. Yeah. And this idea of experiencing pleasure, I, I, I read Spirit Babies while I was pregnant. Love that book. Love that book. For any of you listeners who, it doesn't even matter if you want kids, you don't want kids, you have kids, you are pregnant. Um, I think it's just a beautiful read. And it's this idea that, you know, people believe we can talk to those that have passed. People believe we can talk, talk to angels. And this book is all about talking to spirits about to come into the world. So you can talk to your own, you can talk to friends, spirit babies, whatever it is. But one of the things that I remember really hitting me hard was he talks about how sometimes angels want to take human form 
Um, Mm. And he speaks to sometimes those are people that are dealing with tough pregnancies or many miscarriages because the idea of an angel taking human form, they fight it. um, They're restless in it. It's so new for them. But the most beautiful thing that I thought was kind of in that idea was that the human experience is so beautiful that even, you know, entities that have, you know, all the love live in um, full abundance occasionally want to come down and experience the paradox or the dichotomy that is the human condition. Mm -hmm. And so as we're here and as we're talking about the well of pleasure and all these things and what we can do, I think, honey, what you do so beautifully is there's almost this promise behind all of this work that if you do the work, you will begin to scratch at the surface of what it means to really experience your body, to experience this physical self while we have the ability to. And to feel more alive, like more alive in everything. You know, when you're turned on, like everything feels different than when you're turned off and and you you have the power to flip the switch that's basically yeah Mm -hmm. i like that so as you know we have something called light work i do which pushes and challenges our sakara light listeners to go outside of their typical day-to-day and put some of what we've talked about in this session to work and it's not always easy it's definitely typically not comfortable but it helps us to shine our lights a little brighter Uh, so we'd love for you to share a light work okay I challenge everyone listening to take a week and at the beginning of that week I want you to check in and just see like how turned on you feel in your life or how turned off you feel in your life. Just gauge it. Just observe it. And then for a week, I want you to actively, during your day, look for your turn-on. And what I mean by that is when you're sitting and having coffee, like really be present and drink, like really taste that coffee, smell that coffee, see like if it's that pleasurable. If you're... On the subway, look at the people around you. Don't look at your phone. Look at the people around you and look. Like, is there someone? Ooh, that person has beautiful lips. Huh, that person has curly hair is gorgeous. Like, look for it. Actively look for it for an entire week at work, when you're, you know, driving home, wherever you are, in whatever space you're occupying. Actually look for it actively. And at first you might be sitting on the subway and going, hmm, no one here is attractive to me. No, I bet you that is not true. Like actually take the people in that at first glance you do not find attractive and find something attractive about them. Like actually seek it out. So I challenge you to do that for a whole week. And then at the end of that week, I want you to check back in, engage how turned on you are or how turned off you are and did that change did that change in the direction of turn on and i'm gonna bet right here in front of these (laughs) my my witnesses that it will be in the direction of turn on 
I love that. It's going to be that. great. We need to do that too. Done. Do that. All right. All right. So let us know how you do on this light work challenge. How turned on Ani you Avital. You all are. We want to hear. We want to yes. hear how turned on you are. <laughs> <laughs> Write to us about your pleasure scale. And then just finish finish the week with uh, three orgasmic ahs. <laughs> yes. yes. I love that. And for those of you curious about Hani's work um, and this box she created, I'll just end by saying um, part of the box, not all of it, but part of the box was inspired by a gift that she gave to me. And it was probably about about eight years ago that you gave it to me. And it was a box full of letters that she wrote me. They were all handwritten, and there were about 30 of them. And I was supposed to open one up every single day. And every single day it had an exercise for me to do to increase my pleasure, sensuality, and connection to myself. And it was everything from some of the things she said today to many, many, many other examples. And when I opened it and started doing it, I told her this was something that she had to share with the world. And so she has, and she's put it into a box along with several other beautiful things like a scent and perfume and beautiful photography. And it's all this sensual, it's this box full of sensualities um, designed to increase your pleasure. And so you can find that where, honey? Um, at my website, which is Sheila.com. And Will you spell it? Yeah, it's S H E L A A H. So it's she and then la, like as in an orgasmic ah, <laughs> dot com. Um, and these boxes will be launched biannually and they have different art um, by female artists, which the purpose of the art is to really, you know, get get you kind of in touch with your senses. So it's supposed to, like, provoke, you know, your the sense of sight and sense of smell and really create an environment in which you're going to then want to explore your body and your sensuality. Beautiful. Beautiful. We love you. Thank you for being here. too. Well, that was a sexy conversation. I feel like it's time for a cigarette. What what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But that was such an empowering conversation around sex and sensuality. And I love having these conversations because I feel like they're, they're kind of new in so much that I feel like even 10 years ago or five years ago, it wasn't as easy to talk about sex and women's pleasure as openly as it is right now. Absolutely. And just even saying that, uh, talking about women's sex, that it's, it's something that we have the right to, that it's for ourselves, that it's about our own pleasure. That's really empowering, I think, in, in today's day. And so I love this Sakara story from Natalie in New York City, who talks about getting her libido back after eating Sakara, Natalie says, OMG, I feel amazing. And she writes that in all capital letters. I've been struggling with persistent stomach issues that have really interfered with my life lately. No amount of doctors or tests could figure out what was wrong. I decided to treat myself to this one week reset to see if a major diet change helped. And wow, what a difference. 
By the end of day two, I felt miles better and my indigestion, bloat, constipation, sorry if that's TMI, was completely gone. And this morning, I bounded out of bed when my alarm went off, excited to work out and to start my day. That has literally never happened once in my whole life. Finally, to con- finally to continue gushing, my libido is back after being MIA for several months. Woohoo! I just added that woohoo. Go girl. I had no idea that diet had so much of an impact on my life. I thought I ate pretty healthily. Needless to say, Sakara has changed my life and completely shifted the way I think about food. Yeah, get it now. Go, Natalie. I know when I'm feeling bloated, constipated, all of those things that she listed. Not I'm sexy. Definitely not sexy. No yeah. way. That's so true. This is why we always talk about that taking care of yourself has ripple effects into every area of your life. You know, it's not just, oh, I need to make sure I'm getting the nutrients I need every single day. It's like that has an impact in every area from your sex life to your confidence, which can reflect in your career, in your love life, friendships, it's just endless. Yeah. And this could absolutely affect a relationship, a marriage, a partnership, whatever else. And so I can only imagine how exciting that feels to just get your body back and get your libido back and that sexual energy that is so powerful. And how Hani talks about it's, it's life force energy. It is life force energy. Well, Natalie, we are so happy you got your groove back, girl, and that we could be a part of that. We love to hear more Sakara stories. So send us yours and also be sure to check out our Sakara programs. This is something that is of interest to you. <laughs>